Welcome to Precept to Practice, another CE Impact podcast. CE Impact is a leader in pharmacy education and lifelong learning. Visit www.ceimpact.com and look for the Pharmacy Network in the App Store on your mobile device for more information. The Precept to Practice podcast is dedicated to preceptors, the individuals who volunteer their time to help students become the best practitioners they can be. We all lead busy lives, from balancing professional responsibilities to managing our personal and home lives. It's hard to find time to grow and learn. This podcast is for the professional preceptor who wants to thrive and is looking for the tips and tricks to succeed. Our goal is to help navigate precepting and help you become the best teacher and mentor you can be. Today, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Joshua Davis Kinsey and Dr. Jake Galdo to the podcast. I have the pleasure of working with both of these pharmacists as part of my work at CE Impact, and they both have tons of experience in precepting students in both academic teaching environments as well as in the community pharmacy. I'm super excited to have them here with me today to talk about what it means to precept beyond just the development of students in their clinical skills, but to really precept the whole student. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, awesome. Good to have you here. Jake, you're the person that really brought this topic forward as an important one for preceptors. So let's just start there. Can you talk a little bit about why you're, you feel passionate about this um, in your own teaching and why you think it should be meaningful for others? Yeah, so I think what, what resonates with me about this concept is right now in healthcare, we're all about patient-centered care and social determinants of health. And we recognize that only 20% of someone's health is attributed to direct medical care. Everything else is their environment, their support systems, their finances, their communities. And I feel like it's the same thing with students. We spend so much time focused in on, tell me what an ACE inhibitor is and what are the contraindications and how do you use it, that we sometimes fail to focus that that's a person. And we have to teach them person skills so that they can engage with their patients effectively. And so I think that when we precept, we need to let them know that it's okay to, to be human, to err as human. It makes me think about the, the number one class at Harvard's MBA program right now, which is happiness. Like the number one class at Harvard Business School is teaching how to uh, be a leader and foster happiness in your teams. And I think that that translates to us precepting the whole student. It's not just the clinical knowledge, but it is that all around, how do we care for them as a person? Yeah, that's awesome, Jake. And I, I love your connection to, um, you know, the, the idea that the health of a human is really only partially tied to how they're presenting clinically and so very connected to all the other pieces of their life. And so it makes perfect sense that, you know, that's all tied to how a student performs as well and how, uh, what their success and what their career journey looks like. So yeah, great connections there. I don't know, Josh, do you have anything that, um, to add to, to Jake's comments as far as the importance of this, this role of the preceptor? Yeah, not really. I think it, uh, I completely agree. And I think that it's also interesting to note that uh, both Jake and I have a history of academia, as do you, Kathy. And, um, you know, we're in different roles now, but there are still students, um, and then some have graduated since, that I keep in touch with as a preceptor. I'm still 
you know, they still consider me a preceptor or mentor. And uh, I enjoy continuing to be a part of their life because it's almost sort of a uh, a pay it forward type thing for me. Um, I had the privilege of having some mentors in my past who uh, took me under their wing and uh, one who even helped to offer to pay for part of my education. And, you know, that was his way of saying, I'm paying it forward. The profession has been good to me and I want to give it another good pharmacist and a well-rounded pharmacist who's good for the community, who's good for um, you know, the profession itself and the patients. So I, I kind of have taken that mindset of uh, just really wanting to uh, embrace being a preceptor even post, um, you know, academia and, and paying it forward and continuing to, to develop and, and mold students and, and professionals. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great um, that's a great call out, and I'm guessing that when students reach out to you by text or phone, it's not to ask you a clinical question, right? It's it's related to something, some career issue that they're facing, or right. yeah, some aspect of their of their personal professional development. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit specific, more specifically about career support and professional development. Um, how have you maybe personally? Um, been able to carve out time for, um, you know, providing that kind of mentorship for students, you know, beyond the day-to-day -day grind. Um, and, and, and in that space, you know, in that concept of career support and professional development, what, do you, what have you found to be most helpful for students in general? You know, what, what do students really value in that space? And um, either of you can hop in. I don't know, Jake, maybe you want to take a stab at that one. Yeah, I, it's it's a one word answer, food, <laughs> right? Great. Like that, you know, it, it, it's somewhat somewhat joking, but at the same time, a lot of our students might be on budgets, and I know we'll talk about finance and might be in the bonnet around finance in a little bit. Uh, they might be on budgets. They might not be able to have a home cooked meal or uh, just step out when we were able to go to restaurants effectively and have a nice meal, um, because in a way that takes you away from the day to day grind. It's so easy to get lost in emails or patient care and the things that we do, getting out another prescription. Yeah, I want to talk to you, but I got, a, I got like three waiters to do. I got this flu shot or COVID shot. You know, we can get lost in that. And so if you step away and have break bread together, you, you are separating away from the work part. It's giving you a mental break and it's giving them a mental break and it's giving you the ability to really connect together. And so I found that that has been a wonderful driver as a way to get to know them as individuals. Uh, when I would precept students in a pharmacy practice on a routine basis, at the end of every rotation, they actually came to, to my house for a home-cooked meal. And it was just a way to say, thank you for the rotation. Thank you for spending time with me. And let's all relax and get to know each other. And we're here to support each other. Because ultimately, uh, they're our colleagues in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really an important uh an important aspect of the work that we're doing is how do we how do we develop colleagues that we want to work with in the future, right? So, Josh, I wonder if you could add to that to that uh, part of the conversation around career support and professional development, and maybe maybe share a little bit about how you've supported students in their you know in in identifying their career journey and then and then um, you know moving along that path, um, yeah. you know, yeah, whether it was through residency prep or job preparation or you know any of any of those things. Yeah, and I think that that um, it, that's exactly along the lines of what what I have been able to keep in touch with students about is you know I'm I'm getting ready to 
apply for a new job or I'm getting ready to apply for residency and I have questions and about the process and whatnot. And I, I found that um, most of the time they just they just want a little bit of your time, you know, and it might be a simple text. Um, it might be an email response. It might be a 20 minute phone call while I'm walking the dog or cooking dinner or something like that. Um, so it's, it's not something that requires a lot of my, my time or my effort. Um, and it's usually not something I'm going to have to go research or, or look up. It's, it's, you know, life experiences or, or something that I can share and, and, and impart on them. And so I think that that's um, what's important to note is, you know, we are all busy as uh, professionals and as preceptors, but uh, just a simple response sometimes to a text or an email is, is really, you know, all that they may want or, or need. And it, it really doesn't take that much time. Jake seems to be a much more hospitable uh, preceptor than I'm <laughs> inviting them over for multiple meals. So I wish we were in the same state. Jake, you could be my mentor. It's because I'm still in the South, Josh. When you moved away from us down here in the South, you lost that ability to, to have people so. over for sweet tea. Well, I'm in Iowa, Jake, so let's not forget about Iowa nice, but I would sign up for you as my preceptor, especially seeing some of the meals that you cook. So <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about personal finance. Um, you know, Jake, you and I have had quite a few conversations about this, and I know that this is a topic that's near and dear to your heart based on, you know, your own experience as a faculty member and, and just in your work with students. So Talk a little bit about that and, 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 and maybe explore how you have those conversations with students without crossing the line, maybe with them and, and maybe getting a little bit too personal. Um, you know, how do, what do students need in that space and how can preceptors maybe, you know, step into it a little bit? I think the big thing here is, you know, it is up to the preceptor themselves on how much they want to share about their personal finances. Um, and so that's always a level. And so we can recognize that that's there. And, you know, I don't say I make this much or this is how much we have, but it is, you know, this is how we budget. This is how we plan. This is how we do it. We're a team effort with me and my, my wife and our family, you know, but the, the flip side of that is helping them understand what does student debt actually mean? You know, we have, we've submitted 18 year old individuals to take out six figure debt with a high interest rate and no one ever went to an accounting class. That is not a prereq to pharmacy school. And mm -hmm. we often spend all of our times in the sciences and maybe not in the business program. And I will say that I personally never took an accounting course until I was in my MBA, which was like five or six years after my doctorate, which is scary. And it's just crazy to me that, that we can see the student debt crisis at the U.S. level, at the national level, and our students will come out with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And the best way to support them is to help them understand what that actually means. Have they ever calculated an amortization table? Have they looked at mortgage payments? Have they looked at student loan payments? Do they understand that if they do the minimum payment, if that is not more than the interest rate per month, they're never going to pay off that debt and it's gonna stay with them forever. There are some crucial aspects about that that are really scary but we need to help people understand them because I think the, the thought process is I'm going to graduate and I'm going to make a lot of money. A hundred, $120,000 is a lot of money. I'm not discounting that. Uh, but it was also a hundred, 120,000, 10 years ago. And we've seen inflation influence what a hundred thousand dollars really is nowadays. Um, and, and 
maybe you don't want to be at that community pharmacy doing a thousand scripts a day and you need a break, but you're financially beholden to the debt that you have and you can't. And so I think that that lends itself to the mental health crisis around not supporting the students. And it could be that we just have to role model a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's really, um, yeah, a really good summary of the situation many students are in. Um, Josh, maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, your own personal experience with students in this space and how maybe you've been able to impact them in a positive way, um, yeah. you know, around just living life and being responsible from a fiscal standpoint. Yeah, I think that my my uh, interaction with students is is probably more of a, I would categorize it as, you know, discussions on life decisions uh, versus really finance. And I actually just chatted with a student um, not too long ago. Um, we're, me personally, we're working on a budget for um, some purchases and whatnot. And this student was doing the same um, with their spouse and, uh, you know, was talking about, um, you know, when is it, when is the right time to buy a house? When is the right time to add children to the mix and things of that nature? So just being again there for a listening year, um, just to kind of give some advice and some wisdom um, from my years of experience with all of those things um, or with some of those things, not all of them. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I've definitely had those life discussions with students before. Um, I don't think I've ever dug deep into financial numbers or the specifics of that. But I think that, you know, ensuring that they know a budget is necessary, a, a organized manner of how you plan out your, your career, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, things of that nature are important. And, and it, it does affect your budget and finances. So, um, yeah. And I, I think if I can jump in one more time with one more thing about this, I personally actually don't have a budget. That sounds really scary, but it's just like, I don't. <laughs> um, it's terrible as I'm talking about this, but it's the act of making one. I did it for, for our, our students. I was teaching financial management and I did it for all 100 plus students. And I had them collectively as a class make a budget together and said, all right, you graduate, you're making 120, let's go. Let's see where the money goes. And at the time I was working at a, a private Baptist institu institution. So a lot of the students had a lot of strong faith because of that's the institution they went to and that's how they, they um, identified. And they wanted to tithe. They wanted to give money back and donate it because that's their, their passion. At the end of the day, when they found out that they had no money for new clothes and that they were actually like negative $200, that tithing went away real quick. And so again, we can have these aspirations to do amazing things, but until we actually put pen to paper, it, it makes it real. And I think that that's the, the takeaway is get them to actually do it and see what it looks like. Yeah. 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 Great point. Great point. Well, and to be fair, we haven't always been great about budget too, but the act of putting one together does make one take notice. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I think this is a good transition topic into uh, talking a little bit about burnout in pharmacy, which I know we're many of us are experiencing. And certainly, if we're not experiencing, we're hearing a lot about it um, in in the in the media and within our own practice. So, talk a little bit about how preceptors, you know, can best help students a be on the lookout for 
for this within themselves. Um, you know, what some of the contributing factors are that might be unique to students and, and how they personally can be more proactive in uh, preventing it. You know, how can you as a preceptor help coach students to you know, be self-aware and, and be on the lookout and then and take steps to prevent burnout within themselves? I'm going to jump in again, Josh, because I like this topic and it ties into monies, but I'm not going to talk about monies again. Uh, <laughs> one of my three residency interview questions, uh, Josh and I were both residency directors vibing for the same students. Um, but uh, one of my interview questions during residency was you have 30 seconds to think of something non-healthcare, non-pharmacy related and three minutes to teach or tell me about it. And the goal was to make sure that they had passion outside of pharmacy. And students stumbled. And I think that that's a scary attribute. We can, we can do the numbers, going back to numbers, we can calculate the number of hours someone's supposed to be in school, studying, in class, all of these things. And there's like a negative deficit of actual hours in a week when you think about the amount of time that students have to study right now. And that gets that when you when you graduate, you are so fixated on the job and working all the time and making sure it's clean. You go in early, you stay late and you burn out. And it's because you don't have something to balance it out. And so, you know, it is that that idea of find your passion, but don't let your passion be your career. Let your passion be something that you enjoy. Right now, I am super into Legos and it is amazing. My wife is not thrilled by it, but I love it. You're gearing yourself up for those toddler years, Jake, when your daughter is old enough to, to play Legos with you. Destroy them, and then I can build them again. It's perfect. It's great. All the instructions. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Josh, how about you? I know you, you know, you came out of a community pharmacy and had students working with you in that space. Um, share a little bit about your experience in, in helping coach students through that and, and what to yeah. look for. Yeah, I think uh, Jake made a great point, and, and it's that you need to be sure that um, you do have things that make you happy outside of work. Um, and I've, I've heard a lot of speakers talk on burnout and, and about those different things. And, you know, the, the saying is work-life balance. And, you know, most of those speakers will tell you there's no such thing. There, is, there will never be a balance. It will never be um, perfect. Work will almost always outweigh most of the things in your life, but there, you need to be working towards a balance was what one speaker said that I, I really kind of um, it resonated with me in that, you know, you, like Jake said, you need to have something that you're passionate about. You need to find a hobby. You need to find something that you think is fun. And it could be something as simple as, you know, I enjoy bike riding on the weekends, or I enjoy um, going for a run in the afternoons, or I enjoy baking, you know, when I get home from, from class before I start studying. And it's just something that kind of takes you away so that your whole life is not fully devoted to the studying if you're still in your didactic career or, um, you know, preparing for work or thinking about work. And I'll also take it a step further too and state that, you know, we as preceptors, I don't think we're expected to know the answer to how to fix burnout. Um, I think that everyone knows that it's not a, a quick fix. Uh, but one thing I think we are expected to do as preceptors is to be a good listener and to, to show empathy and to, uh, you know, sometimes I've had students who just, they just wanted to vent, you know, they just really wanted to get it off their shoulders. And, and I, as a uh, novice member of academia in the beginning, 
would try to always help them and figure it out. And I learned quickly that sometimes they didn't really want me to help them figure it out. They just wanted to vent and they just wanted to get it off their chest and to just kind of, you know, share it with someone and then move on. Um, you know, you can give advice and, and they may take it, but it's not always, sometimes when they vent or when they talk to us, it's not, not always for a fix. Um, sometimes it's just because they need to, to share it. They need to get rid of that weight of it. Um, so, but yeah, I, I would say those are the two big things is to encourage them to get a hobby. And then as a preceptor, just always be ready to listen and just, you know, provide feedback and advice if, if requested or if you feel strongly that you need to, uh, but sometimes the, the listening and showing empathy is, is most important, so. Right, right. I think that's a great point, Josh. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, some of teaching is just giving students the space to sort of tell their story and, and, and that in and of itself sort of gives them a path forward um, in, you know, what they need to do given a yeah, particular sometimes situation. The answer, sometimes they answer their own questions, you know, yeah. like, Sometimes in the middle of the event, they'll be like, wait, now I know, now I know what I need to do to fix yeah. this. Or, now, yeah. I, now I realize what the problem is, you know, and you don't even have to, to speak or give them that, that advice. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I was going to ask you um, sort of as a final question, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, about making time, you know, what does it look like to make time for some of these things with students? But, you know, what I'm hearing from both of you really is um, that maybe the most important piece here, and, and this isn't unique to um, mentoring students outside of, you know, developing clinical skills, because I think it's applicable there too, but, you know, it really requires you to create a safe space for students and to develop an environment of trust, which also requires vulnerability on your part as a preceptor as well. Um, and I'm not sure what my question here is, but maybe you could comment, you know, on, you know, what, what it looks like to create that space for students. And, um, you know, if there's challenges associated with that, certainly share that as well. Yeah, I would say that, you know, I kind of go back to what I stated before that I think most of the, most of the students that still reach out to me and that, that still would consider me as a mentor or preceptor, um, know that I am a, one to quickly reply and, uh, you know, I like to clean my inbox and keep things done. And so I think that um, they realize that I'm gonna quickly get back to them. That's kind of my key feature. And, you know, again, it doesn't have to be a long drawn out reply or, you know, you text me and say you have a question and I, you know, send you a Zoom invite for an hour meeting. Like that's not always what they want. Sometimes they just need five minutes or a text or three minutes of your time. And so it, it's really easy for me to, to work them in. Like I don't, I don't feel the need to schedule time for this, uh, for those students that I, I still precept and kind of mentor. Um, so for me, it, it just kind of flows easily into my already organized schedule. I kind of just you know, it just kind of works itself in, but I could see where, you know, some students may have the need for, they need that time, they need, you know, 30 minutes of your time or whatnot, and I think it's just, you know, an easy way to do that is to build into your schedule some professional development time each week, and whether that's spent with a mentor, a mentee, or whether that's spent reading a, a journal article that's interests you or whatnot, if nobody needs your time that week, but always having some time set aside for professional development, whether it's to benefit yourself or to benefit someone else. 
um, I think that's an easy way to make sure that you have time in your, in your schedule. Yeah. Great suggestion. Jake, anything to build on there? I think the biggest thing is they're adults. We often think because they're in, they're in school and we have cookie cuttered their agendas as if they are six that, you know, we don't, we don't focus on the fact that they are adult human people that are individuals and, and need to be treated as such. And so if we treat them with respect and compassion the ways that we want to be treated, I think that that can build that trust and, and create an environment to precepting them as whole individuals and not just here's the test, go by. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to kind of wrap things up here, Jake. I appreciate those thoughts. Um, well, thank you both for your time today. It's This is a topic I know that's, you know, development for students, both personal and professional, I know is near and dear to all of our hearts um, here. And so it's really a, a fun topic, I think, to, to chat about and, and to explore a little bit. So thanks for your insight. I know our listeners will appreciate you too. Um, and thanks also to the listeners out there. Please don't forget and tune in next month for another episode of this podcast. And we'll be sure to explore another topic close to the heart of preceptors in practice. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like more information on mentoring the whole student, check out the full course links provided in the show notes for this episode. We have several topics to support you on your journey. If you're looking for some more specific guidance relative to career mentoring, check out courses on helping students get ready for interviews, how to evaluate a CV, and writing letters of recommendation. If you're looking for some guidance on how you approach mentoring and how you might further develop your skills in that aspect of precepting, check out the 11 Habits of Highly Effective Preceptors. This course explores the skills and behaviors demonstrated by an effective mentor and will put you on a path toward your personal growth in mentoring pharmacy learners. Thanks so much for joining. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.